Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Ace Von Johnson from LA Guns, and you're listening to The Hook Rocks on their fantastic 350th episode. Check it out. Welcome back to the Hook Rocks. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Thanks for coming along on another episode, our 350th episode. Can't believe it. It is crazy. Um, man, I started this in June of 2019. And uh, here we are two and a half years later, coming up on three years, 350 episodes. We'll introduce the guest here shortly, but just wanted to make mention that I am part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the great network of music-related podcasts, great selection of all types of music-related genres represented on Pantheon. You've got Carmen to Peace and Vinny Apice with Ron and Esty on the Hanging and Banging podcast, that Carmine and Ron on the show, uh, Mistress Carrie out in Boston. My boys, Tom and Zeus, on the number one rated KISS podcast, shout out Loudcast, as well as Martin Popoff, the rock historian, and as well uh, as many others. So check out them at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Twitter and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. You can check out and follow the Hook Rocks wherever you do podcasts, whether it's Amazon, Spotify, any platform. Also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone. Check out some of the great episodes we've done recently. We did a live album review, our quarterly live album review of Rockin' the Fillmore, the great Humble Pie album. We had Scott Gorham on from Thin Lizzy back in February. We also had Ema Reynolds, the great director of the new Phil Lina documentary, Songs for While I'm Away. So those kind of episodes bookend each other. Great new, new music spotlights with Joyce Wolf, Georgia Thunderbolts. We've got Scarlet Rebels. We had Girish and the Chronicles. 
It's always great to promote new music and new bands. It's kind of really what we're all about and why we started this podcast. So check out all those episodes whenever you can. Write us a review. Tell us how you feel. Tell us what you like and tell us what we can get better at. Always appreciate all the feedback. And once again, we've got another great episode. Like I mentioned, it's our 350th episode. It's with Mr. Ace Von Johnson of LA Guns. And welcome aboard, man. Welcome back. It's been a long time. <laughs> hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on your uh, big 350 here. That's quite an uh, impressive feat you've done here in the last couple of years. Yes. Yes. I, thank you very much. It's It's been a lot of editing, a lot of headaches, but it's kind of like uh, a great hobby to talk music, discover new bands, tell people about new bands, tell people about new music, what's yeah. really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for doing this. Cause you've got, you were part of, or you're part of the band that I love so much LA guns and the new album checkered past, which uh, was in my top 10 of 2021. Thank An you. Absolute sensational album. Yeah. And uh, we're really proud of it. Thank you. Very. I mean, I've mentioned this before on the podcast that there's a lot of bands from that era that claim to be, you know, make just as good music as they did back in their in their peak. I think LA Guns is the only one that actually does it. <laughs> because nice. the last three albums, especially this one, have yeah. been phenomenal. And I'm even I believe the Checkered Pass is probably right up there with Cocked and Loaded in terms of the quality of the songs. Um let you down to me. Yeah. That's is, I think that's my favorite LA Guns song of all time. That's and, mine. Yeah. I mean, it's when, or at least I mean, top three, top three. Yeah. I, I think I can say this now. Tracy sent it to me one night before it was released. Yeah. He, yeah. He was, he was being generous with it with a few people. Cause yeah. I hate to cut you off. Cause he was so fucking proud of it, you know? Well, he sent it to me and I listened to it and I was just like, dude, this is not the atypical LA gun song. This is something completely different. It had an eerie feel like a, like a cold, November night, you know, in darkness with a little lamps on the street corners and just had that tone that just kept building through the, like, it had such a great just vibe to it and a different vibe that was unlike anything else that LA Guns has ever done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it I think that's the first thing we completed for the album. Definitely. Actually. Now that I know, I think about it and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it's a great band. It, I, I'm a fan. I'm, I, I was friends with everybody in the band before I joined the band. Um, it's a, it's an absolute honor to be part of this legacy act and, um, you know, something I'm, I'm proud of, you know, to be able to contribute and be, you know, an, you know, an active member. And the fact that the feedback on the most recent record has been so stellar. I mean, you know, everybody, when you turn in an album or you, you know, whatever you want to call it, you most band people or whatever you want to call artists are usually proud of that. And that's, you know, par for the course, but there was something, I don't know if it was, you know, with the pandemic or, or our sort of, you know, fervor to like prove, you know, or whatever it is that this entity has moving forward, the momentum or, you know, uh, like a fine aged wine or whatever you want to call it. But it just, we were all firing on all cylinders uh, performance wise and writing wise and feel singing and, and is, you know, the lyrical craftsmanship and Tracy's writing and the riffs and the solos. And 
it just was a really cool thing. And I remember, you know, I recorded a lot of it sitting right where I am. I've got a little home studio sort of set up here in my office. And, uh, and I remember, you know, a track would come over and it would be like scratch drums and Tracy's like demo guitar. And I'd put something down we'd bounce stuff back and forth and whatever. And just being like, this is, this is some of the stuff's really fucking good, man. You know, like, but you, you're just, you're in the moment. And then hearing the feedback from fans who have been around since 87 or 90 or whatever, or 10 years ago, whatever it is. And saying things like you said, you know, it's, you know, it's my third favorite album next to the first two, or it's, it's my favorite album next to the second record, you know, next cockload or whatever, whatever similar similarities like that or comparisons. I think, you know, with considering how extensive the band's catalog and history is, it's really flattering. And it's really cool to just be a part of that and know that we turned in a really solid record um, that the fans are like, you know, like, yeah, like I want to hear the first three records and I want to hear the new one. Like, I'm like, okay, that's, you know, I'm, I'm hip to that as, as a, you know, a fan, not only of this band, but many bands, I get it when a band puts out a new record and you're like, Whoa, Holy shit. You know? And so I think, I think we're all really, really proud of the end results. And, and here we are. I think it, that is the interesting part about the band is you look at those first three albums, which that was really what built the legacy of LA guns. Absolutely. And then you look at the last three, right. Mm-hmm. And, it, and people may get upset with me for saying this. If you, if you got rid of all the stuff in between yeah, and sandwich those six albums together, it's remarkable how, how long has it been? I mean, it would be 30, about 30 years. I mean, yeah. if you're going from album from Hollywood vampires, what was it like 91, 99, something like that. Yeah. To, uh, uh, the missing piece, which I think was 2017, 16 or 17 recently, you know, mm-hmm. cause I can't remember, you know, I've got that COVID brain where we lost two years. So right. five years ago feels like 20, Yeah, but, uh, I came in in 18 and, um, the devil, you know, hadn't come out yet, I think. So I want to say missing piece was either 16, 17, but it was, you know, five years, let's call it five, six years ago. So, I mean, again, uh, 2015, I mean, yeah, it's like 35 years, man. That's remarkable. I don't know. And that's what I'm saying. I don't know any other band that can claim that, that 35 years later, or, you know, let's just say 30 with missing piece. They've got this resurgence that is real. That is because not because of the name, but because of the quality of music. Right. I mean, I think, I think, I think it's a combination of, you know, right place, right time, the reunion of Tracy and Phil um, squashing old, whatever, you know, old, whatever. I don't even know what to say, Uh, you know, beefs and uh, seeing this reunion come back together. Really, I think, you know, because that transpired way before I became a member, uh, even as as a, a friend or a, whatever you want to call it, someone on the sidelines. I mean, I was there. I was on stage when they did their first show back um, uh, sitting behind Tracy's amp um, with his tech at the time. And it was just really I was like, you know, fuck like this is this is, this is hot, you know, and it was cool to see that. And cause I'd never seen them. I'd only seen Phil and his band and I'd seen Tracy and his band. And, um, there was this energy, you know, and they kept coming together. It was, you know, the missing piece, man, you know? And so, um, 
it's just a really cool and then to you know then become a member and and then a songwriter or contributor i should say and um it's just been a really cool thing to be i feel like i'm on a roller coaster like having a really good time obviously covid excluded but um you know uh it's a really great band and uh not just the catalog of music or whatever but i mean to be in to be a part of the people to be around i mean i've been doing this i'm 39 i've been doing this professionally for 20 years which i guess depending on what side of the line you're on sounds like a long time but considering that's pretty much 50 percent of my entire adult life that's all i really know and i've never been in a project where everybody it was so uh such like a family unit um i don't i i I, like i can't even explain it um other than to just say that it's definitely the most cohesive group of individuals i've ever worked with and there's you know there's never any hiccups it's always very um fun and enjoyable and professional and you know i i don't want it to sound like i'm i'm you know um blowing hot hot air or whatever but uh, having been in so many bands i mean a lot whether it's startup projects or side bands or or you know a, like i was in pussycat for 10 years or whatever um you know i've never been in a lineup of a band like this where it was just so cohesive and you know even we do our little woe bundy where we put our hands together right before we go on and and get each other all hyped up and and it's just it's it's a really great gig aside from the obvious like you know yeah the record's great or the catalog's great or or you know Tracy's an icon and and, and you know we're in a legend you know as guitar players go and you know same thing with Phil I mean his history with Girl and Torme and uh uh he's got a couple other things under his belt that are really cool that of course I'm drawing a blank on but um you know it's just a really cool and then everybody else you know johnny martin's got a great resume uh our drummer shane fitzgibbon has a great resume in between shane and and shane we had scott coogan on drums he's got a really fantastic resume um you know so and and shane in the in his time away from the band won a fucking grammy you know and i mean working for for kanye so um you know i mean it's it's a sometimes i feel like i'm like the uh (laughs) <laughs> like, like I'm like the punk rocker that meandered into the, the room full of adults, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I cannot say enough good things about my organization, my band, my, my compadres. And, uh, I want everybody that hears this to just know that what they see on stage or read about or whatever bullshit you see online between us is, is it's real. It's not just like, Oh, we got to look like we're, we're, we like each other for this photo. It's like, no, we really want to be there, you know, which is, is a nice change. Yeah. I was supposed to see you guys at the whiskey go-go on new year's Eve. Yeah. My, I was supposed to go out to California with my son and I, we were going to do the show. He's never, he's, he was 16 at the time. Now he's 17, but he had never been at the whiskey go-go. I thought this would be so cool for him to experience that. And then I come down with COVID like three days before Christmas. Yeah, you. I think I. You mentioned that to me, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe online. I can't remember. And yeah, that's terrible, man. I'm so sorry you missed. It was a fun show. I know. So bummed. I ended ended up giving my tickets to my buddy, my two buddies out in California, and they texted me like within a couple days. Like, oh, it was awesome, and too bad you couldn't make it. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of laying in bed right now, feeling like shit. Yeah. But no, I. I, Well, you guys are going to be actually touring with Tom Kiefer. And faster pussy cat. So you're going to be yeah. playing the Chicago area twice, I think in June or July. Yeah. So, right. uh, yeah, that'd be looking forward to that. Yeah. Same. Yeah. It's a pretty, 
pretty legitimate package. We've all, all three parties, I think have been trying to put this together for quite some time and uh, definitely looking forward to not only a getting back out there, but just hanging with my friends and, and being part of a really great, strong lineup that represents that era and type of music and, uh, and whatnot all together at once, you know, this summer. Yeah. The, one of the theaters that you're playing as displays theater, which I grew up in displays. No shit. And okay. uh, it used to be an old dollar theater when I was a oh, kid. Cool. So they, they ripped it out. I don't know if you remember playing, because I saw the last time I saw you guys was at the Rock House in East Dundee, which is a totally awesome venue. Yeah, I like that room. And it's similar to that, where they, that used to be a movie theater and they yeah. pulled the screen out and they opened up the stage. And it's very similar to that. So I'm looking forward to seeing you guys there. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to just uh, seeing you there then. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait, man. I, I know my son's pumped about it. I can't wait to see the band. Because, I mean, when I saw you guys on, at the Rock House, the energy of the show was just tremendous. It was incredible. Thank you. Appreciate so that. speaking of energy, one of the things that really comes across with the new L.A. Guns record is how energizing and energetic it is. Yeah. The fact that you guys had to record in different places, though, um, that had to be a challenge to kind of capture that. Yeah. Uh, I just ultimately treated it like any other session. I mean, um, I would say over the last, even pre-COVID, but, you know, last two, three years, uh, I've gotten pretty well accustomed to recording at home, mostly as sort of like a guest participant. Mm -hmm. but. Um, I think I, I really don't know how to explain how that sort of energy or whatever you want, you know, sonic vibe transfers over from what everybody's contributing. But I think, um, you know, when you've got a good song and you've got great performers and, uh, you know, your recording qualities up to snuff, then I think you, the end result is ultimately going to be uh, what, what you get regardless. Um, of course, you know, I, I do enjoy being in the same room as my guys or some of, um, we did the, uh, another Christmas in hell EP, a little more traditional sense. Uh, some of it was live tracked, um, with, um, Adam Hamilton. And, uh, I think having, speaking of Adam, having him behind the board with the newer record, um, as well as his previous, um, tenure in the band, um, as well as his fantastic, like engineering, producing skills, et cetera. I think really he was able to, um, make that, uh, tr translate well onto a finished product, if you will. And, and there was probably twice where he'd come back to me and go, uh, I like what you did, but can you do it again with like, you know, more energy or, or, you know, don't do this little thing here or whatever, you know, and it's the same thing if you were doing a record in a, in a professional studio real time, you know, it just happened to be from long distance, you know, via in the middle of a fucking pandemic. So uh, I think everybody's uh, intent was to turn in a really kick-ass record. And I think we did the best we, you know, we possibly could with the fact that we were scattered between like three states and two countries, you know, two continents. So, um, you know, I'm happy with it. I'm really happy with it. I actually, I don't normally listen to, um, a finished product 
you know, here or there, maybe once it's done, but usually when I turn something in, um, I kind of wash my hands of it. I'm done with it. And, um, whether it's, you know, I'm playing on your album or it's for myself or it's the band I'm in or whatever, usually when it's done, it's done because if I focus on it too much after the fact, I'll find something I don't like, or I'll start picking it apart. And, um, admittedly, I would say probably in the, what, six months since the album has been out, probably once a month, I'll throw the record on just to kind of, um, remind myself that like, you know, like everyone keeps saying this record's really good. Should I check it out? I guess I'll check it out. I was at the gym a couple of days ago and I was like my iTunes just, I hit a, you know, swipe and it, I saw the album covers like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just put the record on. And I put it on and it was probably, I will say it was the first time I listened to it cover to cover since the week it came out um, in full. And I was like, man, you know, we did a really, we did a really good job with this record. And I'm really happy with it. And on that note, I'm really looking forward to, you know, doing more. So uh, hopefully we get another studio record out. I would imagine we'll probably start working on that. Uh, next year but don't don't quote me on that because that's again that's more like a tracy and phil decision but i would imagine sooner than later does it help that there's some stability with the lineup now like you guys all know each other because you know for a while la guns was known for the, like the revolving door of people going yeah. in and out and i don't know if it was more of a i don't know if it was an la guns issue but more of just what the industry has become right you i know? think i i you know i think you know, I, the analogy I make frequently when discussing something similar to this is that it's like relationships. Some people marry their high school sweetheart and they're together until they're a hundred. Some people are single for the rest of their lives. Some people are in a, you know, get married every four years. It's just case by case. And I think, um, you know, I can only sort of speak from what I've seen over the last let's just say 12 years as I've gotten to know uh, the guys and more specifically Tracy and Phil, but um, you know, to have a turnover rate of a member periodically is quite common, especially the smaller, the band. Um, Obviously when you're like someone like Motley Crue or whatever, or Metallica, or, you know, you're going to have a band full of guys that maybe they don't like each other, or maybe somebody's mad about something, or there's this guy's manager suing this guy's manager, some weird thing. And um, it gets worked out usually because money talks, right? But when you get into a smaller band um, where it's really just, uh, you know, five guys and like a manager or five guys and a manager and a booking agent, or sometimes just five guys or four guys or three guys, whatever it is, uh, or two girls and a guy, whatever the case is, you know, paraphrasing, right. And, uh, it's just, um, personality types, you know, I mean, you and I might get along great on this podcast, but stick us in a van for two months. I might hate you or vice versa, you know, so that people don't consider those things, um, when they're, you know, tweeting about it or commenting on blabbermouth, or whatever, it's just, the reality is everybody that listens to this has probably had a job at some point with somebody they thought was an asshole, you know, or, you know, somebody they wish that their boss would fire or somebody they fired or somebody they got fired by. It's just, that's just the, you know, uh, the, the truth that we live in and you might hire, and I can speak from experience. You might hire a guy you think is great or does his job real well. And six months out, he may be a jerk, you know, he may need to go. So, um, you know, I think the lineup of uh, from the reunion on 
really, I mean, it, it is basically the same four guys that started in, I think, 2015, four out of five, you know, so you've got um, Tracy, obviously Phil Lewis, Shane on drums and Johnny Martin on bass. And um, when Michael uh, got let go, uh, they had a turnover rate because it was a combination of, you know, uh, again, I wasn't really there for it per se, but it was, maybe it's not the right guy. Or it was just somebody filling in. I mean, even Adam Hamilton came back and did uh, a European tour knowing that he wasn't going to stay in the band, but when he had to dip out again, people are like, Oh, there we go. Another member out of the band. It's like, it's, you know, that's like me going to somebody's day job and be like, Oh, do you, and judging them for having a temp, or judging, you know, a, a school because there's a substitute teacher or whatever, whatever analogy you want to choose. And, um, I, I don't, you know, when I got hired, there was countless people like, Oh, he'll be gone in six months. You know, I mean, even Chad from faster pussycat was like, you know, you're going to get fired and you're going to regret this. And I've been in the band for four years, you know, knock on wood. Right. But, um, I'd like to think that this is the lineup you're going to see sort of for indefinitely, but you know, again, like people have kids, people get job offers, people get sick, you know? And so, and that's not just talking about my band. That's talking about any job or band or group or, you know, uh, someone, you know, putting on a production of a film or a stage play. I mean, that's just the reality, especially, you know, now we're in a post COVID, if you will, society, it's just, you know, I mean, our drummer could get sick and we need to fill in or it's anybody that's just, that's, that comes along with the territory. And, um, you know, in 10 years in pussycat, I had guys sub in for me several times. Um, you know, we did a fucking show without Tammy once, you know, actually we did two shows without Tammy once twice. Right. So, uh, you know, if you want to lean into that, you can, um, and of course there's some history between Tracy and Phil and stuff between the nineties and the two thousands. I don't know anything about that. I, I wasn't there for that, but, um, I'd like to think that aside from a, a, a short period of some turnover rate of trying to, you know, trying on different people, if you will, for size in right before my joining the band, I'd like to say, you know, really it's pretty much a solid lineup. It's the same four guys, four out of five guys. So um, and I used to, def- you know, the same thing with Pussycat. I used to defend our lineup there too. I was like three, you know, Tammy, Chad, Danny, and Christian were in the band all together. That lineup for over 20 years. So, uh, you know, and people want to talk, you know, oh, the changes in the lineups. And it's like, you know, you're the new guy. And I'm like, oh, I'm in the band for nine, 10, you know, plus years. It stops being the new guy. I mean, you can joke about it, but there becomes a period of time where you know the reality is if if people talk about an original lineup and and you're like well that guy the original guy was only in the band for five years and i'm coming up on five years or whatever it is you know so it's all it's all very subjective and of course now with social media everybody's got their two cents they want to throw out there so i'm ranting about this but it's mostly because i've been subjected to it heavily over the last 12 years well it's also indicative of what's happening in the industry right i mean Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of bands that have people come in and out and it's because those days of, you know, having that hit, hit record and, you know, yeah. being able to just have money come in just by sitting around those days are over. You really have to go and work now. Yeah. Right. And yeah. if a band's not touring or if a band has taken a, a little bit of a break and, you know, the guys that maybe were the original members that, you know, maybe they can afford to do that. The guys that have come in that are new need to keep working. And that's why I think also there's a lot of change with a lot of bands. Yeah. And I think that'll never, that's not, that's not going to stop at any right. point. I mean, it, 
if you're not an original guy or songwriter or getting, you know, those publishing checks in the mail or whatever it is, um, you know, there's guys that do it for two or three years and they bow out or, or maybe it's not for them. Or, you know, like I said earlier, they get married or they have kids or life changes. Life happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People, people seem to forget that like we're all every single person that you love as like an artist or creator or musician, or whatever, still a human being, you know, like you may, you know, I could be in Slayer and wake up one day and go, you know what? I want to get married and have kids and get a farm and retire I, like whatever, you know, and that's that person's decision. And and you get these people online that speculate about things or, or whatever. And that's normal now, but uh, you know, ultimately we're not, you know, I laugh when people throw the word rock star around, you know, I'm a working musician and, and I do okay. And I'm proud of where I've gotten with myself and my career and my life, but I'm not wealthy. You know, I'm not, I don't have like some, you know, Maserati in the driveway and um, you know, that's the bulk of us. And even I, by, by some or many people's standards, I'm, you know, somebody's version of a success story um, at, you know, in the sense that I haven't had a day job, or had to go punch a clock in probably 13 or 14 years, you know? So, um, and that's, and I'm, you know, I'm a fraction of a single smidgen of a, of a percentage of a single percentage because, you know, so many nowadays, so many artists and bands and musicians out there, um, that, um, are creating music, which is great, but the amount of people that are able to make a living or get by or, or like, you know, be rich or wealthy or sell millions of records, that percentage is incredibly small. So, um, you know, again, like I said, to some degree, I'm pretty proud of where I've gotten, but unfortunately it's not an easy, uh, path. I speak from experience. Right. But, uh, you know, I'm total now I've gotten like way off topic. Um, but I hope that made sense, but no, I did. Yeah. No, I, I think you can also, when you look at the last three albums with checkered past included in it, it does, I believe just from listening being, being a listener and hearing it, you know, in my ear yeah. is I think the reason why this album is so good is because you guys have are now a cohesive unit. You know, I mean, I, I think that definitely helps with making a record of this quality. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that maybe, you know, doing this, maybe taking a little bit more time with this because of COVID had something to do with it. But I also think it has to do with the members of the band and how you've become familiar with each other. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, I, I think we all know how we operate on and off stage and as performers and excuse me, and as writers and, um, and I think that translates pretty well to the record. And, uh, like I said, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting more, more music out there with these guys. Yeah. And then, you know, the tour this summer too, with Tom Kiefer and faster pussycat. And do you know of anything else beyond that? Or is that just the focus right now? Um, I think there's some stuff being discussed, um, in the fall, but, uh, but I don't really know for sure. Um, you know, I, ad- admittedly, I usually find out when the public finds out, um, you know, I'll get like a vague notification from management. That's like, you know, at this 
time frame, there's going to be something going on. And then a month goes by, I don't hear anything. And someone's like, oh my God, I'm, I can't wait to see you in Chicago on June 15th. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'll be in Chicago on June 15th. Um, yeah. Uh, as far as what's confirmed, I don't know, but I mean, there's definitely going to be more stuff after the, the summer tour. We've got, uh, a, a big show with poison in August. And I think some stuff out West at the end of the year, potentially and then beyond that like i said i don't really know you you, like i said you'll you'll know before i do when's the next neon coven album coming out uh that's you know fuck if i know i love that record thank you yeah i'm really proud of that album too i would say that record and checkered past are probably the two most uh you know two albums i'm proudest of most uh cover to cover um I don't know. They just did a show without me a couple weeks ago. Uh, I wasn't able to attend. I just couldn't get out there to do a 30 minute show. It just didn't make sense for me. And, um, which is fine. They've done shows without me before. I mean, the band, it's more of a studio project anyhow, but, uh, you know, I'd say the dozen times we've played, there's probably been three of them without me just scheduling wise. But, uh, you know, eventually I, I think the discussion I had with Jacob, who I actually talked to today, um, is to do maybe another EP because we started out, we did two EPs and then the full length with future, uh, future postponed. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I haven't really put a whole lot of thought into it just because I'm getting, I'm kind of gearing up for LA guns mode and that'll probably encompass most of my year. And you know, when I hear something, I hear something. And if not, no big deal. We, Jacob and I were, I think we sent each other two ideas back and forth here in the last three or four months, but uh, our drummer Kyle's busy. He just bought a house. And so he's occupied with that. And I think Jacob just finished working on this Orianti album. And uh, so, you know, everyone's busy with their own respective stuff. So hopefully eventually though. Now you just, you know, mentioned that, you know, you didn't want to go back because it didn't make sense. And you're in Nashville now. Yeah. You're no longer in LA. How's that been, you know, for you, the change of scenery, the, the, you know, I I've talked to a lot of Nashville musicians that are first of all nashville has a huge thriving rock scene oh, which yeah. people you know look at me like it's a country western town like not really it's a rock town um and uh they mention the difference between la and nashville where nashville is like a community correct where la is more cutthroat <laughs> yeah that's pretty much uh la is incredibly pretentious and um, and cutthroat. And there's a lot of, you know, who are you like, you know, who are you and what can you do for me? And I never really succumbed to a lot of that. I think I don't, you know, want to take things out of perspective or whatever, but as an Angelino, you know, my mom was born there. I was born there. Um, you know, Panorama city represent, you know, it's like, I'm a Valley kid. So I never, I didn't move there to like, obtain anything or get something or step on anybody to get wherever it just, you know, ended up being a career here. And, um, I've noticed that the people that are in Nashville aren't from that same tribe, whether they're transplants or they're from here originally. And there is a really great thriving rock scene here. Obviously it's known for country music, but I would venture to say that over the last 20 plus years, 
Nashville has just more and more increasingly become a music town. Obviously it's music fucking city, but um, there's a huge hip hop scene. There's a huge stand up comedy scene here. There's a huge punk scene here. There's kind of everything. And um, I think that lends itself to sort of a healthier breeding ground for professional artists who, you know, maybe are already successful, which I think is a, a, a big chunk of it or already have gotten to where they need to be. And it's not so much people are looking to, um, you know, step up to the next car- plate in their career, but they're just here because work is here or there's writing sessions to be had, or in my instance, um, just a really great social environment. Um, I didn't move here to, uh, look for the next gig or to really anything work related other than the fact that every time I'd come here for the last 15 years, more and more. So there would be people, more people that I knew that I liked that I would go, what do you, uh, Jay, what are you doing here? You're like, Oh, I just moved here. And then I'd come back six months later and there'd be three other people we know. What are you doing here? Oh, I moved here last year, you know? So it just, or, you know, or I've been here for 10 years or whatever it is. And there's a lot of people that live here that maybe, um, you know, Mick Mars is here and the guys from Skid Row are here. And I mean, I could go, you know, I'm not going to keep naming names, but you, I could go on and on. I mean, Tom Kiefer's lived here since like the nineties. So, um, there's definitely a rock scene. There's definitely a big, a great community. It's really family oriented. It's very, um, I've yet to run into anybody that was arrogant or pretentious. And I mean, I'm talking, you know, you're like, Oh, there's a guy from black crows and you're like, Hey man, he's like, Hey man, how are you? You know, or there's a guy from this band and there's a guy from that band. And everybody's very like warm and welcoming. It's maybe a combination of Southern hospitality and professionalism um, that I personally hadn't really seen a lot of in Los Angeles. Um, I just sort of was there and was the guy that, you know, once sort of Mm. everybody knew me from Pussycat, then I already, you know, I just existed on that plane. But um, the turnover rate of people coming in and out of LA, especially Hollywood was much more high than I've seen here in in the year plus I've been here. But, you know, again, every city's got its own little story and uh, I love it here. Uh, You get a lot more bang for your buck. Um, Everything's really close. I can get to, you know, from my little house in East Nashville, I can get to everything in 20 minutes, Um, you know, which is in LA. I was telling somebody yesterday, I couldn't even get to my fucking PO box in Hollywood in under 20 minutes. And it was two and a half miles is a 20 to 30 minute drive. Every time I had to go collect my mail, you know, and that's less than three miles. And that's typical. That's just Hollywood. You know, I'm going to get an Uber to the rainbow. I'll be there in 45 minutes and it's 4.7 miles, you know, so that, that got exhausting and the pandemic and, and some other sort of social climate things and, and whatnot. And I just had enough and I spent my whole life there and I, you know, I sort of conquered that hill and, and I, and I bailed and I got out and I, I got a house here and for way less money, I have, you know, a lot more. So, you know, people are like, do you have any regrets? And I go, yeah, I, I regret not moving sooner. Um, and that's it. I love Nashville. And, and like I said, I've been really, really, um, the people I went to a record convention yesterday and I'm seeing guys that own venues and guys that own record stores and they're like, Hey man, it's a guy from LA guns. What's up, man? How are you? You get any cool records? You know, it's just very, you know, nice. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not used to that. So it's a nice change. Yeah. I, I forget who told me this, but 
they were talking about the difference between Nashville and LA um, where like in Nashville, people are like, Hey man, just come in the studio tomorrow. You can be on my record. I, got, I need, I need you for like a, you know, a part on a, on a song where it's not like someone's scared about having them, you know, creep in on their territory or whatever. It's more like you said, it's more that community. Everyone's willing to help each other, look out for one another. It's, it's really great to hear that. Yeah. Um, especially too, when you think of the cost of living in LA. Oh, it's astronomical. You know, and if you're, if you're a working musician, that means a lot, you know, that that's a huge thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people, I think, you know, nobody wants to have the, the wool pulled back or, you know, the, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm living large and, you know, I'm this Hollywood guy. And, you know, but the reality is, you know, they live with their partner or, or, you know, maybe their parents are covering their rent or whatever. There's this sort of, especially in like a lot of the, the guys um, that I know over the last 15 years, not just in rock bands, but in, in, you know, younger bands or whatever, where, um, you know, I, I, I got a buddy, I got a buddy that sold a million albums in the last year. He's in a contemporary, younger contemporary band and he was living with his parents, you know? And, um, you know, I'm not judging, but I just see, you know, how the industry has shifted to where it's, it's, and that's nothing against him or anybody, but, you know, I mean, fuck, I wish I had parents to live with, but, um, you know, it, it can be really difficult to make it as a, a, a living doing this. I mean, you can sell a million albums and still have no fucking money is my point. And, um, and, you know, the fact that, um, I've been able to keep a roof over my head and, and, you know, uh, make a living, if you will. Again, like I ranted about a minute ago is, as I, I consider myself very lucky in that respect because, uh, it's so, so incredibly difficult to do so. Um, and more power to the people, you know, whether they've got a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a rich, you know, a trust fund or whatever it is, that's great. Um, uh, but I see a lot of that especially out West where there was something that you you're like, how is this guy afford to be out seven days a week? And you go, Oh, okay. His parents are footing the bill, you know, um, or whatever it is. And that's pretty common. And um, I think in order to really, um, I don't know how to word it other than uh, some analogy. My stepdad told me when I was a kid is like, you don't really respect something until you worked for it. And I feel like, uh, I had to work my ass off to get to what, to where I am now. And nobody, nobody's, you know, nobody's paying my rent, but me, nobody's putting food on my plate, but me, um, you know, when the dog has a vet bill or I got a, you know, I want to buy a record or something, it's, that's me. And so, um, I am being a little bit self-congratulatory, but again, it's, you know, I did that. So, um, I think there's something to be said about that. And, you know, which is a whole other conversation, but I don't know. And again, now I'm getting, I tangented too far into the deep end and forgot what we were even talking about initially, but, um, is it, is Nashville, you know, we talked about the community and yeah, is it, you know, it seems like more and more people are having open arms for the rock musician, you know, yeah. it's becoming more and more. Uh, you know, it used to be, you know, the, the good old boy town, you know, Nashville country music. And I think like what you said, it's, it's a music town now, but absolutely, 
it's amazing how many rock stars live in or rock musicians live in Nashville. And does that, you know, in terms of mental health issues, right? I mean, you, you can be in LA, you can be in California, Hollywood, and you could be stressing yourself out over some of the most minute stuff just because you understand that's a different game in LA. Whereas in Nashville, you know, because it's more warm and welcoming, that helps those issues that helps that, that stress level where you're able to create more music, you create, be able to create better music because you're more relaxed. Is there something to that? Uh, I never really thought about it like that. Um, I would say everything I've done over the last year or so has been 98% unrelated to the fact that I'm in Nashville, as far as like what I've played on or, or, you know, contributed to or whatever output. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, and I, you know, I don't mean to poo poo on anybody that, you know, whether if, you know, if they've got a rich parent or, uh, you know, whatever it was I was going on about a minute ago, but I just, I see less of that here. I see more, um, professionals and self-made, uh, people in Nashville than personally I saw living in the sort of circuit in Hollywood. I was seeing a lot of that. And, um, I think that, uh, is a testament to the type of people that congregate there, if you will. And so, um, you know, everybody that I know in Nashville is a working musician or is a legitimate rock star or whatever, what have you. Um, and I think maybe the industry here is not necessarily cutthroat, but is more, uh, more in tune with guys that are on their a game and higher where there's no room for guys that are like, Oh yeah, I thought I'd show up and do a bunch of drugs and act like a dick bag because my mom gave me this credit card. You know, there's like no place for that here. And I've, or maybe there is, but um, I see less of that or not. I've actually seen none of it. And so I like that. And it, it it's nice to go out. And there's also this weird sort of unspoken cultural Nashville thing of like an unspoken law of like, if you see someone that's a celebrity or a famous musician or whatever that you don't um, approach them or you don't, you don't do anything weird. And I think that that's led itself to, um, you know, just, you know, like I was in a, a club the other day and I saw Jack white and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And nobody bothered him. That guy couldn't walk into a club in Hollywood. You know, it would just be everyone bugging him for a selfie every 10 seconds. And so, and he lives here too, by the way. And so I don't know, it, does it affect my health? I mean, my mental health in the regards to the fact that I have, a, you know, I'm in this two-story, two-bedroom house here versus my tiny little closet apartment in Hollywood. Yeah, of course. But that would be anybody in any situation. You know, I upgraded. Right. Right. I got a giant backyard that's fenced in. I walk around outside my underwear all day if I want, you know. And uh so in that regards, yeah, but it just goes back to what we we're saying a minute ago is the people here seem a little more grounded, um, a little more professional, um, a little more warm and welcoming versus, you know, like, who are you? How can I step on you? And what can you do for me? Kind of vibe. And again, this is just my personal experience. This isn't, I'm not aiming this at anybody. This is only me speaking, but, uh, 
you know, I like it here. And uh, people, you know, uh, Tammy, perfect example. He goes, you'll be back, Bubba. You'll be fucking moved back to Hollywood in the next two years. I promise. I talked to him today, by the way, you know, and I'm, and he's like, how's it going? I'm like, I love it. He goes, do you miss LA? I'm like, fuck no, <laughs> not at all. You know, I, I've been back a couple of times for work. I was around for the holidays and, you know, it's nice to see my sister, my niece and a couple of friends and, but unless it's work requirements, I don't really want to be there. I li- I was there my whole life. I'm good. You know, I already did that. So, you know, if anybody out there is really thinking that, you know, about making the jump to Nashville, I would say do it. You know, I, I love it here. There's only a few places domestically because I, I have done a, a lot of traveling in my years. And uh, there's only a few places domestically I ever legitimately considered moving. And, uh, and it, of those places, only two of them ever lasted for more than a year of a thought. And I consistently went back to being every time I'd come here, I go, I could live here. I could be here. I could do Nashville. And, uh, I, I even had a, an ex-girlfriend who's a friend of mine still. And she goes, yeah, you start talking about how much you love Nashville in 2013. So it wasn't just some overnight, you know, I'm going to do this. I just, it was a slow burn and, and here I am and, and I love it. I like the fact too that the emerging rock scene with the new bands, it's become it's kind of become the home of things in in the U.S. You know, there's yeah. bands from all over. You know, there's bands that make music that live here and live there. But when you think of some of the new bands that are emerging, whether it's you know, like we talked about Abby K, or whether it's like the Dead yeah. Deads, yeah, band, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, Amy Darling, who's who's uh, a really emerging act. She she's um, opened up for Tuck Smith. A lot too, as well. Oh, I know her. She's here. Yeah, she's phenomenal. And, yeah, I've uh, met her a few times. Very nice lady. Yeah, she's been on the uh, show. She actually moved from LA to Nashville too, as well. Yeah. Um, there's a band, Naked Gypsy Queens. The list goes on. And I do a lot of new music spotlights talking to new emerging bands. And it's like, I would say at least 40% of the acts that I've had, 30 to 40%, are in Nashville. Yeah. Um, that and that's really cool because. That helps that community of, of new bands helping each other out. I think, I think even Greta Van Fleet is in Nashville now. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. So it does matter a lot. And I, and I think, especially for a young artist too, because you, know, you've, you could probably say from experience being out in LA, being a new, in a new band, you can get, you know, chewed up and spit out before you even know it. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, LA is a really tough market. Um, and that's nothing new. Um, I mean, I'm not encouraging people to move anywhere really, but I think if you were looking to be, um, maybe a collaborative writer, like if you were a singer songwriter, I would definitely say, uh, Nashville way before going to LA. Um, but you know, they're, they're, it's an industry town. New York's an industry town. Nashville's an industry town. Chicago is, or at least used to be, um, you know, so I, I think it's everybody's you know, choose your own adventure really. But, um, I obviously literally can see why people would come here. You know, um, it's, it's, uh, centrally located. We have all four seasons. Um, it's, uh, an affordable environment, you know, um, really great scene. What regardless, you know, depend, you know, obviously depends on what genre music you're performing or whatever you want to talk about. But, um, you know, I really, with the exception of tornadoes, uh, I really don't see any downside to uh, the Nashville area. Yeah, growing up in outside of Chicago, I'm I'm pretty used to that stuff. Sirens going off and yeah, and uh, 
we had we had a tornado. Was it last year or the year before? And uh, I hear the sirens go off, and I walk outside, like looking to see what's going on. And my son's like, "What are you doing outside?" Yeah. I'm like, yeah. "Come on, I've been here for forty some years." And like, if you know, we would know if it was bearing down on us. I just wanted to see what direction it was coming from. But uh, yeah, tornadoes can be uh, can be pretty scary. Nobody, nobody told me that they test the tornado warning here every first Saturday at noon. And so the first month I lived here and it's at this park that's like maybe a quarter mile from me. So it's like in my backyard. Right. And not even a quarter mile, like a, like a 10th of a mile. Like I could see it if I stand outside and you know, I, I keep pretty late hours. And so I, you know, I wake up, you know, a week into living here and it's like, I'm thinking, what did what am I, what, first of all, what's happening? Second of all, what did I get myself into? And, uh, and, uh, and the dogs trembling and panicking and, and I, and then of course, you know, I text my buddy who's lived here for 20 years and he goes, Oh, nobody told you that's just, they're just testing it. They do that every month. And I was like, awesome. Thanks for the heads up, I guess. Yeah. Ours is the first Tuesday of every month. And I've always joked, you know, someday there's going to be a tornado at 10 AM yeah, on the first on Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. On that day. And everyone's gonna be like, Oh, it's just a test. You go yeah. like a bed or whatever, do what you're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I, and I don't know what's worse because I, I lived through the earthquake in the Valley in Los Angeles in 90, whatever that was as a little boy, you know, and, and we had a few scary ones out there in the interim, uh, versus a tornado. So it's, you know, choose your, choose your, uh, your own adventure. Yeah. Choose your own adventure. Choose your, uh, what do they call that? Natural disaster, disaster right? Yeah. Yeah. God. I'm looking at the, uh, we're on a zoom call now. I'm looking at the, the, the pits in the back. Um, you're involved in the, uh, the, a, a lot of rescue, uh, uh, foundations with safe pets and, uh, and, and animal rescue. How, how do you, how did you get involved with that stuff? Uh, well, how long is a piece of string? Um, <laughs> you know, I guess it kind of just boils down to needing to express that there's more to it than sex, drugs and rock and roll, man, you know, and, and, you know, being a guy that's not, I'm not a, a drug user. So that takes that out of the equation. Uh, I, I just, uh, I think it stemmed from my mother and in my late teens when she uh, retired as turning into one of those, like it was a rainy day in December when I was born. Uh, she retired when she married my stepdad and he sold his company and then they were doing okay, if you will. And so she stopped her day job and proceeded to do more like sort of philanthropic type stuff. And, um, my mother and my stepfather, and I guess you could say myself, uh, uh, facilitated a, uh, pantry, for a homeless shelter in North County, San Diego, we had moved down there in the late nineties when I was like a freshman in high school. So I did, there was a while where I didn't live in LA to break to everybody. Uh, but from 14 to 19, I was in San Diego. And so, um, she did that and I would volunteer there with her. And so for a couple of years, at least, you know, once a week or once every other week or a couple of days a weekend, uh, I would be at the North County interfaith community center which is still there 
it I, I would assume it's still named after her. I don't know why it wouldn't be, but there's a the pantry there is called Julia's Pantry, which is my grand would have been my grandmother. I never knew her. And um and so uh we did that and um you know I would bag up sundry items and groceries and whatever and that was what my mom was really into. And I always had a dog as a kid and I always liked dogs. And you know, there's probably some tipping point where um uh, I, I just sort of gravitated towards that. And, um, I had a, I had a, for maybe six months in my early twenties, um, I had a, like a junkyard dog that, um, lived with me, um, this little, this little runt pit bull puppy. And, uh, and I just, you know, and I, I, I slowly transitioned into this learning about what I call the, like the plight of the pit bull, and just uh, how the media has sort of maligned them over the last 30 years and how there's this sort of negative stigma about them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and, and, and delved into that more and more, I would say definitely over the last 10, 12 years. But uh, it initially was just something where I would be on tour and um, I would just do it. I would donate money or whatever. And I didn't, I wasn't public about it. Um, I didn't really talk about it for probably two or three years. It was just something I did on my own. Um, and then at, you know, the behest of somebody, uh, you know, you should really, you know, publicly promote that or whatever. You might encourage some people to do more to, you know, show, you know, just because you read about something that happened in Sheboygan one time in the media doesn't reflect the other millions of these dogs um, who have done nothing but just be somebody's pet or whatever. And um, and I just kind of went from there and I do as much sort of advocacy. I think at times there's sort of a misunderstanding. I think some people have thought that I had a rescue, like my own rescue or like a 5013C or whatever it's called. I don't, um, I'm just sort of an advocate and, um, I, I try to, um, do as much pledging, um, or, or, or donating, if you will, as possible every single week. Um, even sometimes to my own financial detriment. Um, but it's just, that's just what I've chosen to do, uh, with my time, and finances when I'm not, um, you know, being dress up guy in a band and, uh, it's cause it's infinitely more rewarding. And, uh, you know, I've been asked to speak at a few events over the years and, uh, I'm surprised I'm not wearing a rescue shirt right now, although I was earlier until I threw it in the wash. Um, but I just try to represent or, you know, do as much as I can considering, you know, my career is in some, in a different field. But um, I, I love it, and uh, I wish I had more time or the opportunity to do more or give more or or um, contribute more. But you know, it is what it is. But yeah, it's just something I, I'm, I'm passionate about, if you will. And, and I, I love pit bulls, and I love dogs, and I love animals. You know, and you know, that's just sort of what I've chosen to focus on is is the is pit bull type dogs, which is uh, just so everybody knows, pit bull is a type. Uh, there is a pit bull breed, which is the American pit bull terrier or an English pit bull terrier. Those are specific breeds. When you say pit bull is usually a type. It's like saying, uh, comparable to saying I'm from Europe. Well, where are you from? You're from, uh, uh, Paris, you're from the Ukraine, you're from, you know, it's a wide scope. It's an umbrella term. So, um, and that also carries over into, um, data as far as statistics go, because people want to talk about, uh, the negative aspect of pit bull type dogs. 
and the numbers that you see are extrapolated because it's not one specific breed, it's a type. So if you're seeing five times more bite history from pit bulls, that's because it's encompassing Dojo Argentos and English Bull Terriers and American Pit Bulls Terriers and Staffordshire Terriers. So it's like saying, well, what do you mean there's more violence in Europe than there is in California? Well, it's a bigger landmass. But nobody wants the people that try to lead with that foot don't want to hear that anyhow. And so, um, you know, again, going back to media maligning these types of dogs, I just tell people to go to pitbullinfo.org. And I hope that's the right website, but I believe it's pitbullinfo.org. And there's a bunch of non-biased just statistics that's from the CDC and the AKC and the ABC and the XYZ and all these sort of scientific, you know, or although I guess a lot of people don't believe in statistics or numbers or science or proof anymore or whatever. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but it's as uh, backed by, you know, evidence as possible. It basically just says that pit bulls are no more dangerous than any other type of dog if they're socialized and, and, and raised in a loving environment. And unfortunately people use their strength and their ability to, uh, 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 there's, one of the reasons pit bulls have been used to be one of our, um, uh, they were, I mean, at one point there were like a mascot for uh, like, uh, you know, the a branch in, in the army and one of the most de- highly decorated animals in history is Sergeant Stubbs, World War One, two, I can't remember, you know, and so, uh, you know, PD, you know, from Little Rascals, I mean, they used to be like the symbol of like American strength. And then now we've sort of turned them into these bad guy dogs. But we as a society have vilified other breeds in the past, you know, whether it was the German Shepherds in World War Two, because they're called German Shepherds or uh, you know, or, um, any other, there's other breeds. It doesn't matter. And so, um, you know, uh, I, I just wish more people would realize that, you know, I mean, I've been bit by more chihuahuas and terrier mixes than I have ever by any type of pit bull. Um, and again, you know, it's just bringing a, a large animal into your home. You have to be a responsible pet owner and they're known for where I was going with this a minute ago is, uh, they're such great dogs that they will do anything to please you. And if you're a piece of shit who instructs your dog to harm other animals or people or whatever, that dog eventually will either um, re- refuse, at which point they're either turned into a bait dog or they're harmed or they're given away, et cetera. Or they will go, well, dad says I've got to fight this other dog. So I have to fight this other dog, you know, because they're trying to please their human. And it's unfortunate that people have, have, have done that, but it's the people who are responsible for these actions almost indefinitely rather than it is the animal. And again, like I said, sorry, I keep ranting, but again, it's like some dog that does X, Y, Z, regardless of the breed against the, you know, hundreds of thousands, or in this case, literally millions of pit bulls. Uh, I don't think that reflects enough, you know, on the type, unless that's the narrative that you want it to fit your story. You know what I mean? Cause there's plenty of people yeah. on social media that want them to be bad guy dogs and, and they're really not. Well, it's, I think it's important for, you know, for people to consider rescues. Um, I've been divorced for 15 years yeah. and my son was two when I, when I first was divorced yeah. And, uh, the parenting schedule was a lot more restrictive back when he was younger because he was yeah. young, he was real young and it was, you know, his mom was more, you know, it was important for him to be by his mom and everything. And I was still involved, but I only had my son one night during the week 
and every other weekend, kind of, you know, the standard, you know, d- you know, divorce decree visitation I, stuff. I know now I, have I lived a, it. Yeah. Now I have a majority of the time, but I remember I got the opportunity to get a couple rescues. Yeah. And I really wanted a dog because my house was too quiet when my yeah. son wasn't there. So I was, I was just like, it was like, I couldn't, I didn't like being at home because it was too quiet. Yeah. It's depressing. So I got this offer, this one dog, his name was animal because he looked like animal from the Muppets. He was half collie, half black lab. Okay. And he was found in a dumpster in a garbage bag. And he really bonded with this other dog who was in, who was a rescue. It was a German shepherd, Akita. So they were looking for homes for both of them. And yeah, I said, I'll take pair. the, I'll take the black lab collie. And they're like, Oh, you don't want the Akita German shepherd too. They really bonded. I'm like, no, I can't handle two dogs. So like two days before I was supposed to pick up animal, um, they called and said, are you sure you don't want, cause we can't find a home for this dog. Cause he was, I think five at the time, the German shepherd Akita was five and animal was two. And I said, all right, I'll take both of them. Yeah. All right, you know, so I go there and I pick up the dogs. I'm driving home. And I'm looking in the rearview mirror at these, you know, animal was 70 pounds and cave was almost 90. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> That's a lot <laughs> like, of dog. Like what the fuck am I going to do with these two dogs? Yeah. So, you know, I got them home and everything. And man, like I, I, they saved me during that time as much as I saved them because I wanted to be at home with the dogs. I wanted to, you know, I'd rather stay home on a Friday night than go out with my friends and, yeah. and hang out. Cause I wanted to be around them. Um, tremendous amount of love from the dogs. And I think, you know, when you take in a rescue, in my opinion, they feel that they Absolutely. feel like they're, they're wanted, you know, they, they feel that love that you can give them that maybe they haven't felt before. I think Cave was found in a abandoned building in Chicago animal was all he was beaten he was in a garbage bag he was basically thrown away yeah um yeah that's people that did that to them yeah yeah and i still remember like i remember when i first had him i would put my belt on and he would cower in the corner and i kind of like well maybe they used to beat him with the belt and stuff you know because he would get really scared he'd like almost shake and it took a while for him to, to you know for for me to gain his trust um but it was a, it was a beautiful experience. They both passed now. Um, I still think about them every day. Yeah. Uh, cause they were just tremendous dogs. I mean, Cade died four years ago, coming up in this, no, three years, three and a half years ago. He had d- degenerative myelopathy. Yeah. Which is, yeah. you know, where the nerves start dying from the rear end to the front and his hips were. So I would, I was spending a couple hundred bucks a week going to holistic vet for him to swim, to help open up those nerves. Yeah. And I don't know if it helped him live a little longer because he let, lasted till 13, which is a long time that's, for, that's a long time. Yeah. But, um, you know, getting a rescue really is a, a, a wonderful experience and so much where I've got the Bernice now, but I'm even thinking of, uh, I wanted to do this, but the pandemic hit and I didn't really want to start doing it, but, um, uh, rescuing senior dogs. Yeah, that's my goal too. Yeah, because I mean, just you know, they're old and they're older and they're alone, and you know, even if they you know they don't last that long, at least they're in a, a loving home. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's my, that's sort of my exit strategy in life is, uh, you know, the sooner the better, but I would like to, uh, buy a property, of course. And I'd like to, um, I've done a few, uh, things here in Nashville, um, where I was doing like, I guess fo- you could call it fostering. I have a second dog now who's a foster fail as in I fostered him and he just never left. But, um, I was bringing, this was with several dogs where I would bring them here for the afternoon and just let them have the run of the backyard. And, you know, or, or there was an instance where we had a thunderstorm and I would just barricade my dogs in the house and then in separate them via the kitchen and then bring this dog in and, and into the kitchen and let him just do his thing. But, um, you know, ideally I'd love to be able to do that on a much larger scale and bring in, you know, a dozen or so dogs. And I want to do Fospice, which, you know, senior, senior, wow, senior Fospice, which is where, you know, you basically go, okay, he's 14. He's, you know, nobody's taken him. We'll just bring him here and let him live out his days. And that's kind of what I did with, with Rufus. We don't really know how old he is. Um, he's definitely a senior, but his, you know, his teeth are all gone and he could be 10, he could be 13, he could be eight and just have had such a hard life that, that he just looks old. But, uh, and they think he was also a, a, a bait dog cause he's just covered in scars. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's again, a minute ago, it's like, it's way infinitely more rewarding, you know, I mean, bringing mm-hmm. these, especially like a rescue in this instance, uh, Mila was a, a rescue as well, but she was so young when I got her. I don't think she ever really like, you know, hit the skids or anything. I don't think she really, she's such a spoiled ass bitch that I don't think she knows anything other than being <laughs> pampered to the nth degree. But Rufus, on the other hand, you know, I think he's he's content to sleep 22 hours out of the day because he's just finally able to just, you know, have a loving environment and be able to decompress in, you know, indefinitely versus whatever we don't know, but whatever his life was prior to coming here. But, you know, again, it's just what a great feeling. And then it's reciprocal. I mean, the, the, the love that you get from, you know, I mean, some people are cat people, some people have, you know, mice or whatever and nothing wrong with any of that you know but they do call it man's best friend for an absolute reason and uh you know i can't imagine my life without without myla you know i mean she's been my dog for uh eight years and um and she'll be nine next month so uh you know and she's definitely kept me alive on a few instances uh i mean you know amazing right yeah i was deciding whether i wanted to tell one story or not and i've opted not to but um yeah i mean it's amazing the the relationship that you can have with your pet and and you know i have chosen not to have children um you know obviously to each their own but my my dogs are my children and i would love to have i would love to have more kids you know and so ideally someday i would love to have the ability to take in more uh old farty smelly dogs that oh, know, I, I feel the roof. same way man man my my dogs have always been like my kids and my son yeah. always laughs because i'll go to the grocery store and i'll buy like steaks and my son's like are those for us i'm like no that's for the dog yeah yeah <laughs> yeah man sorry bubba it's, gotta take care of those pups he's always like you spoil you spoil the dog so much i'm like yeah that's right totally admit it you know yeah but the dogs don't talk back <laughs> exactly except, except my bernice when it snows 
Really? I literally have to go drag him in the house. Oh, he's he into want, it. He doesn't want yeah. to come in. He like lays in the snow. He, you know, he'll stay, he'll stare at me. Like we had a blizzard I think two years ago. He's laying in the snow in the blizzard. Like, like he's at the beach. Yeah. And he just, he, lo- I mean, and my vet said the way the dog, those dogs are bred, he could stay out in like minus 20 degree weather for like two hours. Yeah. And be okay. Like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that, but no, of course yeah. not. But yeah, that's fantastic. It's so interesting how they behave like that. This one, Mila, she, the first time we, when we first moved here within a month, we got some big crazy snowstorm for like two weeks and she'd seen snow before, but not really like, I mean, we got like 10 inches of it or whatever. And she's out there just running around and I'm like, who is this? You know, what do you, what's wrong with <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, it's 20 degrees outside. You're out there barefoot. You're crazy, but whatever, whatever makes them happy. Yeah, no, um, aren't, uh, Pit bulls or pits, the largest or the breed that with the most dogs in shelters and yeah. in, yeah, I read yeah. that somewhere. Yeah. Statistically speaking. Yeah. They're, they make up probably, uh, here in America, probably at least I'm going to guess I'd, I should know the number, but I don't, but I would say probably two thirds of the animals in shelters. And, you know, it's the, you know, people don't like to hear this, but the reality is that most of them leave in, uh, they leave in a trash bag and that's the reality. You know, nobody wants to, to know about it or see it or hear it. But, um, and that's why I, you know, have chosen to sort of speak up. I mean, you know, I've had fans, I, you know, I had a guy I was giving lessons to that was like, I was afraid of them my entire life until I saw videos of Mila and then now my daughter got one and we're in love and with this dog and, you know, and thank you for that. And, you know, that, you know, that carries way more weight for me personally than, you know, getting to play dress up guy on stage or whatever. So, um, yeah, man, that's just, I love it. And I wish I, I wish I was a millionaire so I could do more or billionaire or trillionaire so I could do, you know, those things I wish I, you know, I just give all the money. I would give it all away. Cause I would love to do more for animals and, and, and I would love to have a rescue. I'd love to have uh, as an organization and be able to take in dogs and, you know, hire people or whatever, whatever goes along with that sort of madness. But, um, you know, because I'm happiest most when I'm with my dog or dogs now in this instance, or since we got the old man over here. And I, I feel like, you know, if you extrapolate, like if you had a hundred dogs, wouldn't you be a hundred times more happy? I mean, obviously you're not picking up all that shit, but, uh, you know, obviously getting a little off the deep end there, but yeah. So hopefully, you know, knock on wood someday I get to do more. Yeah. I have these dreams of like buying one of these old farm lands, you know, and just turning into it, turning into a giant rescue farm. Yeah. That's the goal. Just. Endless, you know, acres and, you know, run, run as far as you want to go. And, um, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Have like yeah. a volunteer staff of like vets and veterinarian assistants. And that totally you know. makes two of us. I would, yeah. I would seriously, same page, my friend, I would love nothing more. Yeah. Cause you know, I still remember that, you know, like, I, like I said, looking in that rearview mirror in that moment, like changed my life. These two big dogs are in my backseat of my Honda. You know, gosh, when was this? This was 15 years ago, 13, yeah. 14, 15 years ago. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but you don't regret it, do you? Don't regret it at all. Don't re- yeah. regret it. And, and I remember when I brought him over to my, my parents' house for the first time, you know, my mom's like, my mom's like, I don't want these dogs. I don't want these dogs in the house. 
So I, I brought him over. I think it was like Father's Day or something like that. And like two hours later, she's like, did you bring the dogs back to your house? I go, no, they're laying right behind you. I'm like, oh, my God, they're so quiet. I'm yeah. like, yeah, they're good dogs. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing. Good thing about a rescue is they're all pretty much most of the time trained or have yeah. some, you know, they're housebroken at, you know, at, at some point. Yeah. More often than not, I would say. Yeah. Because yeah, they've got some, you know, some experience as a domestic pet. Um, yeah. So as far as other projects go, I know you did some stuff here in the past couple of years. You were on the Tiffany record, which yeah, that still uh, isn't still isn't out. Which I think that's a phenomenal record. Well, didn't you do the anniversary edition or, or like a special edition? I don't know what is. I, you know what's funny is Johnny Martin, my bass player. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Johnny! And I meant to text him today because he's in Tiffany's band. To be like, what's up with like, you know, I was like talking about that song two years ago and it still isn't out. And um, I don't know. I hope it comes out. But uh, yeah, keep going. I forgot what, what we were about to say. I thought she just did some kind of special edition around the holidays. I don't know if that was previous stuff or what. I'm not but, sure. But it, de- um, it definitely wasn't the track. It wasn't okay. my song. Yeah. Um, I believe that's going on her next full length is last I heard uh, I talked to her producer guitar player, Mark, maybe around the holidays. And he, he said sometime, you know, it'll be out this year. Okay. You know, so I don't, I, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to, to that getting out because uh, you know, I, I'm proud of the the track and, and it's, you know, a nice little accolade to have once it does drop. Yeah, um, no, I've, um, I've kind of followed her career since she kind of went into rock music. Yeah. And she's legit. You know, she's, oh yeah, um, she's got pipes. She can sing anything. Yeah. What about other stuff? Any other projects you're working on are going to be part of? Um, you know, it's funny. There's been so many things that I've recorded over the last two years or, you know, post pandemic, if you will, that have yet similarly to the Tiffany track have yet to sort of come out that, um, I frequently forget that they exist until they, you know, someone goes, it's coming out on Tuesday, man. Um, I did a thing. I'm actually wearing the shirt. Um, the, uh, there's a horror movie channel or whatever you want to call it called shutter that I subscribe to a really cool app and channel. And so shutter has a lot of original content. And one of their shows is hosted by a guy named Joe Bob Briggs, uh, who had a show in the nineties on TNT, uh, called monster vision that yeah, I grew I up. That. I used, yeah. I used to watch that with my dad and, uh, a big horror movie fan myself. And, his current show is called the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs and their music director. Uh, and I spoke last year at some point, um, sort of mutual respect kind of social media interaction. He goes, man, I'd love to uh, collaborate with you, work on something, yada, yada. And so we ended up coming up, we wrote this song. Um, the lyrics are his, but it's called stick shift drive in love. And it's one of these little musical segments they have in the episodes every periodically will there'll be like some kitschy song that they'll throw in and uh so i wrote that with him and played all the guitars on that and that just came out uh, about three weeks ago was last month uh so that's on uh you know itunes and spotify and all that and i'm wearing the t-shirt not that the people listening can see that but um yeah so uh that came out and that was fun to play on it's it's meant to be tongue-in-cheek and a cool little guitar solo there. And uh, what else? <laughs> Some other stuff I can't remember. Um, I don't know. I really, 
I would say, what is it? March now. Um, I mostly focus on my Patreon and just doing my sort of home thing here at the house and um, stuff pops up periodically. I feel like once the LA guns record was done and came out, um, there's been a couple things I've done that haven't really come out yet. Um, did some work with the guys in the Finnish rock band called the 69 eyes. That's not out yet either. Um, and, uh, my buddy, Aaron, who I've known since I was a teenager, uh, he's a really well-known and award-winning adult actor. Uh, he goes by the small hands. Um, and, uh, it's like, it, it was like a bad joke that ended up becoming like his professional name, but he, he's, he was a musician first. We were in a band together when we were both like 20. And so he's got a project on Cleopatra records now. That's very, very, uh, electronic. Like there's no real, instrumentation at all if you will it's mostly like synths and keys and and programming and it's called empty streets and so he and i collaborated on a song and that just came out a few months ago for his uh ep um i think the song is called was that not enough for you and then a remix of that came out with this uh some some dj guy named grendel uh i think last week um so there's a remix of that that just came out that still features some of my guitar melodies on it um, so it's just stuff, you know, I, I, I'm sure there's probably 20 things I just don't remember. Um, and I should probably keep more stock in that. But like I said, until they drop, I, 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 you know, I, I forget, but not really a whole lot, man. I'm just kind of keeping busy at home. And, and like I mentioned, you know, I, I've spent, I spent a lot of my time sort of creating stuff for Patreon, um, cause that's been my most lucrative outlet for the last couple of years. And then just hanging with my dogs or, you know, going to record conventions or doing my, you know, I'm not touring. So, um, I have so much more time on my hands. So, uh, writing, I've been actually speaking of writing. I've been doing some, uh, writing some cues for some TV projects that I can't talk about really by name, but, uh, you know, these little 30 to 90 second little blurbs of music. Um, I got into writing jingles. Uh, so I had my first client that I'm in the middle of a job with now so you know and i do that here like in my pajamas at this desk um and and it's really cool because i get to be creative and and still play music and write music and whatever and i don't have to leave the dogs so um you know that's been fun and just all these little work from home projects it's really been i'm really sort of again not to continue to pat myself on the back but i'm really happy to have these jobs that keep popping up where i'm able to you know live my life and still keep a roof over my head and you know like yeah. i you know go to record conventions or you know go have sushi because i'm working versus you know which is a considering i'm not touring i've been a touring musician for 20 years it's i'm i'm shocked you know so I'm, everything's cool i'm glad things or these jobs keep popping up so that's whatever. awesome that's awesome you. are you used being a fan of horror yeah have you ever heard of mr ballin on youtube no oh. Ace. What is it, Mr. Who? Mr. Ballin? No. Uh, B-A-L-L-E-N. Okay. So he's this ex-Navy SEAL that tells stories of the mysterious, unknown, and creepy stuff. And like he's, he has the ability when he tells a story to like yeah. make you feel like you're you're in it. And there's like a couple stories. Like there's this one about these this possessed home in New York, upstate New York. Yeah, that's next to like a forest preserve and they found all these pentagrams and like the forest preserve and stuff and all this crazy stuff was happening. I'm telling you, man, you can go down a rabbit hole on that YouTube channel and yeah. it's, it's awesome. 
I'll, I'll add the, I'll add that as soon as we get off. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah. I mean, like I, I discovered it one night and I literally was watching the stories for like three hours. Wow. It's, it's pretty cool. All right. I'll check pretty it out. Pretty cool stuff. Mr. Ballin. Okay. Well, Ace, it's been a blast. Thanks again for, for doing this. Thanks again for being on the, uh, the special episode 350. Yeah. 350. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jay. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I can't wait to see you, uh, this summer here in Chicago. So that's going to be a blast. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the whole tour and uh, please reach out when we get closer to the date. We'll, we'll have to hook up. Awesome. Awesome. Tell everybody where they can find you. Tell them about your Patreon and other areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're interested in checking that out, it's patreon.com slash Ace Von Johnson. Um, Ace Von Johnson.com. I'm pretty much only on Twitter, although I do have an Instagram. Both are at Ace Von Johnson, A C E V O N J O H N S one. Um, and uh, if you need any voiceover or session stuff, hit me up. My contacts on my .com and hope to see you on the road. All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Thanks again for tuning in. Take care of each other. Stay safe. Stay strong. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks again. There's a part of me that you never know. Push it deep inside. Got nowhere to go It's like a snow It's too quiet It's like a slow Growing right And I'm never, never, never Gonna change Stop asking why I'm acting up strange Burn you like a lava flow Pain in the coming down It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 